Hello and welcome to episode 6 of the Lost Words podcast. In this episode I was joined by PGA Tour and Corn Ferry Tour professional John Peterson. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Lost Words podcast. Uh, today I'm joined by uh, PGA Tour professional John Peterson. John, welcome. Thanks Tom, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. So uh, John, we uh, the last time we saw you in action, um, a little over a season ago now, um, you actually retired and and i'm retired is that correct um yes that's correct we uh we we missed golf pretty bad so um i, I guess i quit in uh right after i finished 151st in the fedex cup points at the greenbrier and the story about that is you know we, we had about six holes to play it was my last start of my medical and i needed i needed to finish like ninth or better tenth or better uh, to make the required points <clears throat> and I'm going into the last three holes. I need to make a birdie on one of them. I know to have a chance. I birdie 17. I hit probably the best three wood I've ever hit in my life on 17. And then I made about a nine footer for par on 18. And, and, uh, we went in the scoring tent and all the officials came up to me congratulating me. I made it, you know, kept my car, all this is going to get the required points. They were actually even scheduling me to get into the John Deere the next week because I hadn't planned on it because I hadn't expected to get in, but now that I require, you know, fulfilled my medical requirement, they were trying to make plans for me to get to the John Deere. So I started drinking wine. I started drinking beer. <laughs> I started drinking everything inside. It was a party. And then, you know, I was early on Sunday. So, you know, I'm sitting there still drinking two or three hours later and the final groups are coming through and everybody had started backtracking because it was, it was blowing windy and, um, and then Bubba Watson makes this 40 footer on, on 18 at the Greenbrier. And if you know that green, there's like this buried horseshoe in the middle of it. And he makes this snake that, you know, you're, it's easier to four putt from than it is to make it. So I'm, I'm looking at the leaderboard and the points are changing, you know, in real time. And, uh, I moved from, from, from ninth to 15th to 12th. And so I, I'm kind of hovering around the 11th to 12th place and, um, Bubba makes this and he was tied with me. So he goes ahead of me and then Keegan Bradley does the same thing in the next group. <laughs> and I end up, I end up going from just total celebration mode to, I flipped a table in our rent house at the Greenbrier, got wine everywhere. And that was the point where I knew I'd missed 150th by half a FedEx cup point when those two guys made birdie on the last hole. And, you know, it, it, it sent me into, yeah, it sent me into retirement. Uh, basically, I, I just quit. I was like, man, uh, it, if I can't do it, if I can't do that and, and put forth all that effort and, and still come up half a FedEx Cup point short, you know, what's the point of me staying? Long story short, I end up getting into the Barbasol like three weeks later um, on my number from last year. And I said, screw it. I left the beach to go play and finish 20th there somehow without practicing at all and uh and then and then from there i i just played the corn ferry tour last year for a little bit got hurt had wrist surgery in august and then stem cells in january and here we are stuck in our houses for two months that's so, it. Yeah, we, that's uh, pretty much the story <laughs> it's um it's a terrible time for the world right now and very strange and you know going out your house is even an effort at the moment so Obviously, you're recovering from the wrist surgery as it stands. You're not ready to go just yet. 
no, I'm not ready to go yet. Um, so the, the surgery actually didn't work. I had two torn ligaments in my right wrist, uh, my set wrist at the top of my swing, and, and it was just killing me to play golf. So I withdrew in uh, Wichita last year uh, on the Corn Ferry Tour and then um, shut it down, had the surgery, came back from that in about November or December, and it did not work. So then I looked at alternative options, and really all you've got is stem cells or physical therapy and surgery again. And I obviously didn't want surgery again because, number one, I think, the, you know, if you can go through your life having a, as little surgery as possible, I think that's obviously the best choice. And uh, number two, I had done all the physical therapy I wanted to do. I didn't want to do any more. I'd done it for three months straight, and it's cash pay. My insurance wouldn't cover it. I was just getting sick paying for it, to be honest with you. They do the same thing every time you go. So I said stem cells. That's got to be the answer. So I did stem cells in January, and, and it takes three or four months you know, for those to take full effect. And here we are in April, and, and they're starting to feel a little better. So I might start to chip pretty soon. But uh, there's still a little bit of discomfort in that right wrist. Uh, so really and truly then, uh, the time off that the tour has got right now has actually come at a good time for you, I suppose. It gives you a time to let the wrist, wrist heal and eventually get some practice in and then ready to go maybe when it comes back on. What's, what's the condition of your status right now? Have you got any starts available to yourself or is it a case of invites? No, no, I've, I've still got... Uh... It's either four or five uh, medical starts on the Corn Ferry Tour, and um, I can use those whenever. Uh, so whenever I feel ready to play again and compete, um, I can get right into it. But to be honest, Tom, that's going to be – that will probably be next season with all this happening because I had planned on starting in May or June getting warmed up in Canada on that McKenzie Tour up there. You can use your warm-up starts you get warm-up starts on a on a lesser tour than you're on so when i was on the pga tour i got to warm up on the corn ferry tour on my first medical now that i'm on medical on the corn ferry i can warm up on the mckenzie tour or latin america tour or china tour but i'll never go there with all this ever again <laughs> so so i was planning on starting in canada uh in june May or June, when they start up there, warm up, and then hit the Corn Ferry at the end of the season, and try to try to get my money points, you know, back that way. But uh, with all this going on, I don't I don't see myself playing until next year now. But yeah, you're right. It couldn't have come couldn't have come at a better time for me. I mean, when everybody's stuck at home anyway, it's just you know everybody's kind of on a medical right now anyway. So here I am, uh, stuck at home like everyone else. But as far as timing goes, it ain't bad. Yeah, and uh, you say you're 29 now, kind of 30. And when you come out from LSU, a uh, very good college career, how did you see your pro career going? I'm assuming, you know, you expected a few more better results than you have had. Um, but, you know, where did you think you were coming out of college? Well, uh, kind of some backstory on me. You know, I was, you know, I, I, I played golf. In, in high school and I wasn't great until probably my junior year. And I really got a lot better that year. I went from, I think my scoring average, my sophomore year was around 74 and then it went to 70 in a year. Um, and then my senior year was 69. Obviously those are, 
easier courses. They're not, you know, college caliber courses. We were playing local munis, you know, for the most part. Yeah. I went, to, I went to a public school here in Fort Worth. Golf wasn't top priority. I mean, we won state my, my junior year, and I think the only people that cared were our parents. So <laughs> it's just, it wasn't a huge priority for, for, the, for the town, so we played these dumping courses. But my scoring average continued to improve, and then when I got to LSU – we started playing big boy courses and I went back to a scoring average of 74 my freshman year, never in those, you know, four years in high school and my first two years of college, did I ever think I was going to be a pro? Um, I thought that I was going to go to college for free, get my degree, you know, enjoy my time there, you know, as paid for and then get into the working world. Because to be honest with you, I didn't think I was good enough. And, uh, I definitely didn't believe that that I could spend at least, you know, three or four years playing the PGA Tour. But sophomore year in college, I got a lot better again. I went from 74 to 72. I made uh, second team All-American that year. And that was the point when, you know, at the end of my sophomore year, my coach came to me. He said, you know what? I, it was something like half of second team All-Americans make the PGA Tour at some point. And uh, when he told me that, it's like, man, if I just work a little harder, I could probably do this. And then my junior year, I finished sixth at the NCAA championship. And my, my, my senior year, I won the national championship. And um, that's when I knew, you know, I could, I could probably play professionally. It wasn't until my last two years of college, though. Uh, the first two years, I had no plans of, of ever becoming a professional golfer. I didn't think. I just didn't think I was good enough. You know, I grew up around the Ricky Fowlers and the Philip Francis, if you know who that was, and uh, the Peter Ulines and Morgan Hoffmans of the world. And, and uh, they were always beating me, you know, in, in high school. And, and I just and they were beating me bad. It wasn't like it was <laughs> it wasn't like it was John 72, Ricky Fowler 71. It was John 77, Ricky Fowler 67. So um, somewhere in there, I caught up to him. Uh, uh, in college and and then i decided you know let's give pro golf a shot and, and pro golf kicked me in the nuts for the first year uh pretty bad but but i was able to kick it back after that but you had um a great sort of period in between leaving college and uh, or still being at college and playing as an amateur you, you know you, you actually nearly won a u.s open and when i say nearly won and it's easy to say that but you literally came within two shots of winning the U.S. Open um, at Olympic, and there was a double. There was a double bogey towards the end, if I'm right. You know, I I think back about on that week all the time, and um, there's a quote from my dad after we finished playing on Sunday, and we're sitting in the hotel room, and I was actually a I was actually a pro. I, I had turned pro beforehand, and um, we're sitting in the hotel room and, and I was broke. You know, I had like, I had $1,200 in my bank account. I was, I was dead broke. I, my apartment rent was due and it was a thousand dollars. I was, I was literally about to be out of money. And, uh, my dad's sitting there and, um, he goes, John, you just lost the U S open. You know, I mean, this is the biggest part. <laughs> this is the biggest point of my entire golfing career you know I, I just top fived it my first major after going through locals and sectionals and I don't know who's the last guy to, to go through locals and sectionals and finish fourth I mean I haven't looked it up but I'm sure it hadn't been done very often and um, my dad's sitting there just 
giving me hell for losing. You know, he expected <laughs> me to win, which, you know, I, I love him for that. I mean, you know, it's, uh, you always want your kids to succeed and expect them to do well. But I made like $285,000 and my check was, my checks were still coming to my grandparents' house because I didn't have an address in my apartment. And uh, the check gets to my grandparents' house, and for some reason they opened it. And, and <laughs> my grandma, Nothing my grandma goes, "This is double the worth of our house." You know, I'm like, yeah, I, I don't know what happened. Grandma blacked out. <laughs> and uh, oh, you actually yeah. got paired with a, a fellow LSU golfer there as well, didn't you, David Soms? Yeah, no, David getting played with with DT on Saturday was was. One of the highlights of my of my golfing career, to be honest with you, I'd always been around him in college because he our golf tournament that we hosted in Baton Rouge was named the David Toms Invitational, and he would come down for it and um, always present the trophies and hang out with the guys and do a Q and A. And uh, he was always around us. We we were practicing, and he would come practice with us, warming up for the season. You know, because up there in Shreveport, you know, four hours north of Baton Rouge, it was a lot cooler than Baton Rouge. And he'd come down and, you know, he had a house there, so he'd practice with us three or four days. We were always around him. So he was a mentor to me um, and a guy that I thought, you know, I could never even come close to beating. And, and so I looked at the pairings Saturday morning and, and I'm paired with David Toms, which was Honestly, the, the the best guy that I could have been paired with around that leaderboard because I think Tiger, Tiger was one in front of me, so he was the final group. He was he was the group behind me with Jim Furyk, and then there was me and DT, and then in front of me it was uh, Graham McDowell and Furyk, I think. So if I would have been paired with any one of those other guys. I would have been way more nervous than getting paired with David Toms. So it was a blessing for me to get paired with him because, dude, all of a sudden I go from not, you know, being extremely nervous to to not not a ton. And then, yeah, I made the hole in one and on Saturday with with him in the group, and uh, it's just memories that I'll I'll have forever that um, that I can go back and, and watch and um, just kind of reminisce on. So, yeah, that was that was a super special moment at that u.s open yeah and also you, you say that you go back and you look on them and especially when you make the sort of decisions about stepping away from the game or going through some tough times do, do you go and lean on those sort of um those moments as a as a proof that you can do it oh yeah oh yeah um i know you know they say talent never goes away uh you, you just you just got to keep plugging. And, and I know I have the talent um, in my, you know, I, I've been told by you know, a lot of really highly respected players. I won't name names or anything, but you know, when I'm, when I'm on, I, it's hard to hang with me with a, with a tee shot. I mean, I'm, I'm one of the best, you know, tee shot players in, in, in the world, I think, when I'm when I'm on. And I've been told that by guys that I've played with that, you know, have a lot more credibility than I do. Um, but I'm also one of the world's worst putters. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I didn't so, want I didn't want to bring yeah. it up, but that is that is the thing, isn't it? Is you've always been known well, not even just off the tee, but ball striking with your irons and, you know, around the greens is fine. It's just that you have had a problem on the greens and you didn't have that kind of problem as such 
I'm guessing through college and certainly for the early part of your professional game. So what is it that changed as the years went on? Yeah, I don't really know, Tom. I think uh, I think you just get exposed, you know, with all the stats and all of the shot link capabilities of the tour. I think you just get exposed, and every you know, you know how good you are from three to five feet. You know how good you are from six to ten feet. You know how good or bad you are from four feet. It, <laughs> you know every single thing about every stat, and if you start looking at them they can really mess with your head. I mean, you, you start believing that you're terrible from four feet because you're 200th in the world at it. And, you know, you got to remember these are the 200 best players on the planet. These aren't, you know, uh, some random group of golfers picked in Odessa, Texas. This is, this is the best of the best. So you just got to remind yourself that, you know, yeah, I was always one of the worst putters, you know, when I was out there and, I would look at stats and it would get to me. And then that creeps into when you're over a four footer that you need to make, you know, am I going to make it? But, um, I think, I think what changed was that just, just getting way too involved in looking at the numbers. You know, I, I was definitely guilty of that in my time out there. And, you know, I was out there young. Yeah. You, know, you think about it. My last full season out there was 2015 Yeah, where I played 20, 25 events. I mean, it's been five years. Uh, I went 13, 14, 15, three events in 16, and then I played something like 10 and 18. And, um, you know, my last full season where stats were counted was 15. And I, I think, you know, I was 25 then. I'm, I'll be 31 next in two weeks. And if I was playing the PGA Tour right now with no pain, with the mindset that I have now after having two kids and a wife for five years, I think I'd be a lot better, to be honest with you. I mean, I was treating it like a vacation pretty much the whole time I was out there and, and partying and uh, probably played half my rounds hungover. Uh, just, <laughs> just not not being a good pro, not playing, you know, not being a good professional and uh, – I think things would be different if I was out there now, but you know, the hardest part is getting there, and, and that's what I got to do now. Uh, you know, how, it's easier, I think. Well, I'm guessing here that you know, especially when you were on on the the Corn Ferry Tour, um, you know, you had five, three or four, five top fives in a row. You won the Web.com Finals um, and get promoted straight to the PJ Tour. Does that is that where it sets in? You kind of feel like you've just made it, and you don't need to practice as hard and I'll have a beer and, you know, life suddenly becomes unimportant because you can just play golf and you're good at it. Yeah, I think I think that's well said. It's um, you can definitely get content when, when you're when you're having success out there. The hardest part about being great at something is continuing the pursuit of greatness, you know, because all the money and all the fame, all that comes with good results. Right. Nobody that plays terrible gets famous. You know, unless you're happy Gilmore won off a tee. But other than that... <laughs> I was going to get on to that, actually. <laughs> you, you, can't, you can't be great, you know, and, and not play good. Or you can't, you, you can't be rich either. So when I made it to the PGA Tour that first time and reeled off those five top fives in a row um, without winning, somehow won the money list and got into all the tournaments next the next year i yeah i got lazy i mean I, I played terrible through the fall and didn't care because i had 
you know, a full bank account and didn't have any expenses. And, um, I just had almost zero liabilities. And, uh, so, so I just got lazy and, and partied and, and, um, just did a lot of things that I, there's no chance that I'd do now if I made it back. You know, it was just, I thought that I was invincible. You know, I, I just thought that no one could beat me. And, you know, that's just the most arrogant, wrong way to go about it. And uh, I wish I had that body that I had <laughs> with with this brain. Now, if I could combine those two with two healthy wrists and, you know, about 15 pounds less, no beer gut and no dad bod with the mind that I have now, I think I'd be golden. But, you know, you can't do that. <laughs> but how, how do you think that, if we go back a little bit here to, to your college career, how, obviously, LSU is a massive school. Um, and, obviously, if you start playing well, start winning NCAA championships, and suddenly you're a superstar, because that's how college makes you feel, right? That's, you know, and then how do you go from that to actually grinding? And, you know, you see sort of college pros do it for the NFL, but they're sort of surrounded by experienced vets and coaches that are always on their ass and and making them work hard whereas when you go onto the, the professional golf scene i'm guessing you kind of feel a bit on your own and you kind of got to figure it out yourself and and grow up quite a lot i imagine yeah that, i think i think um professional golfers are the ultimate entrepreneurs uh they you, it doesn't matter right when you step on that first tee as a professional nothing matters before then it's not like the it's not like the NFL or the NBA or, uh, well, I guess it's similar to baseball, but all the other sports, you, you've got a draft and, um, they, you're on the team and you're getting paid day one if you're one of the best. Right. So the first, the first team, all Americans in golf, there's, I think 10 or 11, maybe 12 every year. And they're the best players in the country. No doubt about it. They are. They're the best in the rankings. And if it was like any other sport, there would be zero transition from college to the pros because you go from being on a team to on another team. You're not having to worry about finances at all. And, you know, yeah, your, your personnel around you changes, but you still go from having all the trainers, all the coaches, all the dietitians, nutritionists in college to having the same thing day one on the next team. When you're a pro golfer, I mean, you're an independent contractor. There, You go from being a first-team All-American. This is what I did. This is personal experience. First-team All-American to day one as a pro. Yeah, you might sign a little bitty deal, which I signed for $50,000 from Titleist as a first-team All-American. I see these kids I see these kids nowadays, they're getting six, ten million dollars yeah. with, with the same credentials or worse than I had. <laughs> So it's just, it's nuts. But anyway, you go, you go from that to signing $50,000 to a Titleist. If you play bad for three or four months, there goes all your money, which is what I did. It was gone. And then, you know, thankfully I, I mundane into Memphis and, and had a little bit of success, but yeah, the transition is so much different than other sports. And there's no way that it's going to change. It shouldn't change. It keeps you hungry, but um, you know, there's no team. There's no team that you go, you, you're on a college team and then all of a sudden team golf's over forever. And I think that's something I miss the most about, about golf is the team, the team aspect of it. Um, 
I wasn't, I'm not a great individual player, but, but when it comes to a team, I feel like I'm a very good team player. And uh, that's what I love so much about college golf, but yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's a tough transition <clears throat> those first few months. But that's the thing is that you said you touched upon there, the, the team golf and you hear it all the time um, with these guys, even the very best in the world at individual play when the Ryder Cup and President's Cup rolls around, they're right up for it. They love it. They, they love going back to those roots. They love, they love the team pay more than anything. And, and it, it's what you touched upon there is, you know, it's not all down to you. You get to rely on your partner or you're not letting down your partner if you're playing your best and you sort of bring each other up and it must be difficult, like you say, to go from that to, to suddenly just being playing for yourself. And uh, I seem to remember you doing an interview before we're saying like, you know, you, you get up on the tee and you sort of wish each other well, but you know full well that actually it's everyone, everyone for themselves something. Right. Yeah. And, and that's, yeah, the Ryder Cup, the Ryder Cup's awesome. I'd love to play in one of those. I'd love to be a part of that team, but that's one week. You know, that's one week. The, the Walker Cup is one week. Uh, the President's Cup is one week. But we're, we're talking like we did. I did eight straight years of team golf. I mean, it was high school golf and then college golf. And those dudes become your brothers. I don't care what anyone says. I mean, yeah, you, you've got individual guys in there that care about themselves more than they do about the team. And I'm not going to name names over the year. I mean, we know who they are. But, <laughs> but we've got when you have eight years like that, you, you learn how to compete as a team and, and flash signals to each other around the golf course, how you're doing, blah, blah, blah. And it's just, you, you're with those guys from, we had 6 a.m. workouts in college every day. Well, not every day, but three, three days a week. Uh, and then you're in classes with each other. Then you go eat lunch, then you practice, and then your study hall, and then you're out at the bars. You, you literally are there. You're with your guys 15 hours a day for, <laughs> for eight years. So it's, and then all of a sudden that's gone, you know, and in, in one, one week you, you got to go play for yourself. And, uh, it took me a minute to, to, to adjust to that, but, um, I wish there was more of it. Yeah. I, I wish there was more of it in golf. And that's the thing there, I suppose, is a, it's an ownership thing. I suppose the day that you're told you don't have to get up at 6 a.m. to go and do a workout are oh, you going to do it? And, you know, the very best and the elite players, I guess, will do that. Um, they'll still treat their bodies with the, the respect they need. And and not to say that you never did that, but I'm guessing that was something that you did take for granted uh, over the years at times. Right. Yeah, no, I, there were no more 6 a.m. workouts <laughs> when when I turned pro. That is for sure. Uh, I did. There, there were, once I played good in the open, um, I, I finally had enough money to hire a trainer and bless his heart. He, he's got the biggest heart of anybody I've ever met in the world. And, and that's Colby Touye. Um, I'm sure you know about Colby via Instagram. Now he's got about 30,000 followers It's Colby Wayne on Instagram. Yes. Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> I, I hired him in Baton Rouge and and that would have been uh, late summer of 2012, and we worked out. He put on 25 pounds of muscle of me, and I I was more flexible with more muscle in a year than I had ever been in college. So th that was before Colby got famous, and that was right when my golf game got even better than it did in school, and it was. 
it wasn't all Kobe, but dude, he was 90% of why I took off in 2012 because, um, he did it for free. The, the guy trained me for free for, for two years. And then I'd start to bring him on the road and pay for his road. And then I started paying him a little salary and that, but he did that for me for free just because he saw the potential that I had and, and, and the dude has a heart of gold and, and the guy could barely make his rent. I, I remember I, he, maybe he doesn't want me saying this, but I'm going to say it because it's a testament to how great of a person he is. He didn't, he could not pay his rent without letting go one of his employees one month. So he let go an employee to pay his rent and then moved from that building to a smaller building because it was cheaper while his wife did skincare in the back of it to help wow. ends meet. <laughs> so this, this, I'm talking like nobody knows this about Colby. They no. see Colby now and Colby's got Justin Thomas and Dustin Johnson and Brooks Kepka and, and, and this fleet of world-class athletes. But when we started, he had his wife in the back of the building doing skincare and he was working people out in the front. And this was, these are mostly like 60, 70 year old people that really didn't have any business doing anything other than stretching and they were doing lightweight. <laughs> and, and so I come in there and he helps me, he, he helps me a ton with my body. I mean, it was so obvious that I would show up to practice and Andrew Luke was like, dude, you look bigger. What are you doing? And I'm like, I'm going, I'm going to Colby Wayne. I'm going to Colby to you. I mean, we were doing, we were doing two a days, three days a week. And I was eating four or five meals, just doing, doing the exact thing that, that I should do to play the best golf that I could and following the plan. And so then Andrew Luke started working with him. And then Mikey Matuk, who plays for the Tampa Bay Rays, started working with him. And everybody that started working with him played better in their respective sports. And it didn't take long for the word to get out. You know, I think by the time 2014 rolled around my, my second year on tour on PJ tour, I was bringing him with me and it was once or twice a month to stretch me out, work me out in the trailer. And then guys started seeing what we were doing in the trailer. That was way different than what anyone else was doing. I started playing better. They started noticing and then Colby started working with all these guys. And, but back in 2012, it was just me, him, a pile of bills, and just work, <laughs> just trying to put everything on credit cards to, to get through it. But, man, I can't say enough about that guy. He, he's like a brother to me. He, uh, um, I still am, am – I, I give him shit all the time now because he's so famous that he won't even talk to me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you, can't, you can't even get a message back now. <laughs> but we uh, – yeah, no, there's a special bond there between me and him. And um, I'm so I'm so happy for all the success that he's had because uh, he he deserves it more than anyone else. So um, I just hope he, he can keep going. And uh, I miss him terribly. I wish he'd move from Jupiter, you know, and come back to Louisiana. But, you know, he's he's got his gig over there. But yeah, old Colby Toulier. I miss that guy. <laughs> but how do, this is the thing that people don't see, isn't it, of a tour player? And this is why we like to do these interviews because, you know, on TV you see you guys pegging it up, and you, you everyone just sees that you get free clubs and you got your sponsorship deals, and oh, you won a hundred thousand in one week. How could anything possibly be wrong? But you start missing cuts, and you know these sponsorships 
you know dwindle away and, and suddenly it becomes a reality and and, and that was I'm guessing a, a leading factor in you stepping away from the game in the end yeah no it's you look up a guy's career earnings you know on Google or whatever it is and it's so much different than any other sport where those guys have zero expenses none I mean they fly everywhere on a charter plane from from the team and they don't pay for instruction they don't pay for dietitians nutrition they don't pay for anything you know that what they're getting paid is what they're getting paid <clears throat> when you look up golfers and you see oh man peterson's made three million dollars wow he's rich no <laughs> no i'm no i'm not rich you know you know I'm, I'm not yeah maybe i had some good endorsement deals when i started playing better but i probably made I probably made five and a half, six million dollars over everything in, in my career so far. And I mean, I've got a I've got probably 20 percent of that still. I mean, it's it's just you've got to know how expensive it is to play out there. And when you start missing four or five cuts in a row, you know, you go a month without making a dollar. You've spent twenty five grand, thirty grand easy. And um I remember my, my best year out there, I made a million bucks in 15 and I had $300,000 in write-offs. So wow. <laughs> that's, that's net 700. And then you pay 40% tax on that. That's 280. So all of a sudden you're down to 420 right there. And then you've got all your stuff at home. You've got your mortgage and you're at taxes at home and your state taxes and then your insurance. And by the end of the day, maybe you've got 200 grand for the year. <laughs> well, on, a, on a million dollars not as exciting is it you know and it's again it's still good money isn't it it's but that's how you having a good year um you know suddenly those sort of years where you have sort of downtime and 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 suddenly it could almost cost you to play golf as opposed to actually making a living from it and that's where i i think of a lot of the, the corn fairy tour guys I, I feel so bad for them right now especially the rookies because they're so excited to go get their, their corn fairy tour card. I've got a friend here in Fort Worth that he's a West Texas kid. He's 33 years old and he just got his first corn fairy tour card. He's been grinding up for 13 years. Michael Martinson is his name. Yeah. And he was so pumped to get started. He missed like his first four cuts in a row and then finished maybe 50th in his fifth. So he's at a huge loss and now he can't even play to try to recoup his losses. So he's already lost 25 grand for the year and he can't even play to try to recoup it right now. So, you know, I feel terrible for him, feel terrible for the caddies uh, out there right now. I wish, you know, there's there's something that the tour could do, but it's so difficult because um, they can't just give you money, you know, with, with tax you know regulations and all that. You can't just give people money that are working for you. But um yeah, no, it's 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 super expensive. Last year when I was playing the Corn Ferry Tour, uh, I think I played five, six, seven events, something like that in a row. I, I mean, I made half the cuts and finished thirtieth, and I lost twenty grand. I, I took a I took an eighty-two thousand dollar loss for last year. Wow. If that gives if that gives you any perspective of professional golf, so yeah, I only played seven events, but I had $80,000 of golf expenses and I only played seven events, you know, that's for the whole year. But 
uh, yeah, and that knocks that knocks into your career earnings. Really, you know, you do that for three or four years, and there you go, you get a real job. So, um, yeah, it's tough. It's super tough. I think, but I think once you make it out there, the PGA Tour, it's the most rewarding feeling that you can have in professional sports, um, just because it takes it takes so much work to get there, and, and um, it is an individual sport. So all of the pain that you feel comes back 10 times in joy when you finally do make it out there. So uh, I'm just hoping I can have that feeling again one day. Yeah, and I think, you know, that's, again, you've spoken there of the caddies that are struggling, the players that are struggling on the lower tours. But, you know, just from a, a personal point of view, you know, this these decisions to step away also came from the fact you've got two two young children at home and a wife and you know you suddenly have to start did you start having to justify playing golf as opposed to actually right well this is what i do you, you really had to say well can i do this anymore because i is it a pressure to, to earn money and bring home money for the table and things like that yeah yeah that's that's part of it um i do i am really lucky my wife supports uh supports my golf 100 percent, and she's a She's an animal with the kids. I mean, I'm up here. I'm up here right now talking to you, while she's got two screaming babies down there, two and one year old. You know, trying to feed them and wrestle them, and um, she's just she's just a saint. So we get a lot of help. My parents come and help us too, and um, that's not a reason for me to press pause on golf. You know, would I like to be home more? Absolutely. Right now, I'm at home all the time. Um, so that's not an excuse for me to play bad, if that makes sense. It's not It's not that that's, that's in the back of my head. And the back of my head is, will my wrists hold up? Will the pain come back? Will I be able to be as fit as I used to be? I know my brain is better. I know it 100%. I'm not, uh, I, I'm not drinking myself to sleep, you know, like <laughs> to party and staying up till three in the morning and teeing off at 9 a.m. anymore. Um, I know that part. My mental game would be way better. But the part that is going to hold me back when I do return is the physical part of, yeah, I've had surgery on both hands. My body's not where it used to be. Um, I'm obviously not going to hit it as far. Uh, can I get back to that physical level that I used to be at? So yeah, when we're talking about, um, returning and, um, the, the, the things that may hold me back, it's going to be, it's going to be the physical things. It's not going to be, uh, thinking about being at home or anything. I, yes. I love being at home and my family will come with me, uh, you know they'll they'll be with me more than they have been because the kids are older and they kind of can function a little bit and they're not three months old anymore and sitting in a potato sack so <laughs> we've uh we've got that kind of dialed in and we've talked about it where yeah you know she was going to come up to canada and bring the kids with me and um make it feel a little more like home so no it wouldn't it wouldn't be a uh, desire to be home as much as it would be my physical attributes maybe not being where they used to be uh, and what was it that, that so you've had a surgery on your wrist now and on the other hand as well are these wear and tear injuries is there specific moments that they've happened or how did they come about 
Um, I had a carpal boss done on my left hand in, in uh, January of 2016. Um, they had to shave a bone down and take out a cyst and fix a lip ligament under there. So it's fully recovered. It, it hasn't hurt in in two and a half two and a half years. I mean, it hasn't yeah. hurt a long time. Uh, my right wrist is not a bone issue. It is, it's a, strictly a ligament issue. Um, and it, if I hold my hand out, like I'm a server carrying a plate of food over my head, it kills me wow. even, even right now. So, um, if I don't have it flat, like I'm carrying a plate of food, you know, so I can sit my wrist at the top, top of my backswing. If my wrist isn't completely bowed back, but it has to be with the way I've always swung the club in my yeah. tempo. So I've got to get that back and it's not there yet. So it's, it's, yeah, it's the physical, it's the physical part, but when I do have no pain, whenever that is, hopefully in the next few months, am I going to be thinking about it while I'm swinging? And I think that is as much of it as the physical part. And that's what that was the next question really was that, you know, you say your body is completely healed. Um, there, there's still mental scarring, isn't there? It's, it's a trust aspect, and you know, the doctors and surgeons and everywhere around the world can sit there and tell you, right, your wrist is fine, your wrist is not a problem. But we see it in elite athletes all the time that they have an injury and they, and they never bounce back from it. And and it's all about you say there that you've you've improved mentally and and you're ready to go again if you can get out of the pain. But then you've got to then you've got to deal with the fear of, of it going wrong again, I suppose, and 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 being fragile, and and can you swing it like you used to, like you said earlier? Yeah, no, it's it's it's, uh, it's one of those things where I used to spend hours hitting balls and hitting shots, and you know doing doing everything with the ball striking that I could do, and neglecting putting, obviously. So <laughs> I was so I was always straining it. I mean, I, I hit a lot of golf balls. That's what I love to do. I, I didn't like to play that much. Um, if I played, I liked to gamble and I played with the guys, but I didn't, I didn't go out to the course by myself and work on things on the golf course. That just wasn't the way that I like to do it. I, I like to iron it out in the dirt. I like to, I like to dig it out, you know, like Hogan did. I, I mean, I, I always believed that if you sat there long enough and you worked on one thing, that you would get it. And, and that's what I always tried to do. I didn't try to work on it on the golf course. I would take what I learned from the, from the range and then play with it. I wouldn't try to fix anything out there. So I'd sit on the range for hours and I would beat balls and beat balls and beat balls. And that's, that's what I did. That's what I did in college and high school when I was little, uh, all the way up until, until I was on tour. And the, the, the doctors really had no other explanation for, my torn ligaments and my carpal boss other than wear and tear. I mean, I, there was a point at the Memorial Jacks tournament. That was my last event that I played before all of this happened, before I got hurt before. And I was like 40th in the FedEx cup. And that's yeah. May. That's May. I mean, that's eight months in, you know, I mean, I was having a great year and I was finishing about 18th every week. It seemed 15th day. <laughs> And I'll never forget it. I was playing with Kisner and David Lingmer in the first two rounds. And that's before Kisner had won anything and before Lingmer had won anything. And I obviously had one either. But I was the highest ranked player in that group. So 
I was I took ten Advil to play to play that last round because it's hurting so bad on Friday, and ended up bur- I ended up birdieing like five of my last nine holes. It was way outside the cut line to miss the cut by one, and I said to hell with it. You know, if I can't make the cut with ten Advil and no pain, I got to go get surgery. So Lee Murth ended up winning that week after playing with me Thursday Friday, and then Kisner. Kisner's been, you know, red hot ever since. But so I, I've over, I've been over here staring at my deer mounts while uh, these guys are playing the Presidents' Cups and you know, <laughs> winning golf tournaments. But anyway, no, it's uh, yeah, the 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 ten ad bill a day had to stop. And and back in 2015, you know, that was the last tournament that I really felt like everything was 100 uh, percent before I shut it down. And it's, it's interesting that you say that obviously that there was guys that were, you know, that you were at the same level at and, and even better at the time and and uh, they've sort of surpassed you now as you've been dealing with the wrist injuries and one of the comments you made last year was that when you were watching the Masters and you were watching, you know, Woods come back from injury and win and Patrick Cantlay finish in the top 10 that and this is a guy that you beat at college to win an NCAA and people took that as a, as a cockiness, as an arrogance and a you know, uh, a slight on Patrick, but it's it's not, is it? It's just a confidence and, and a belief that you are as capable if if you if you're fit. Uh, dude, there's so many sheep out there that, that talk on Twitter and Instagram. I mean, you just can't. I mean, it's just it's it's hilarious to me how much credibility people put into these sheep that just write these stupid articles all the time. But uh, <laughs> no, yeah, I said that. I still mean that. Um, Obviously, yeah, I, I know that's what I said earlier. I said the talent is, is there. I mean, you, you don't lose your talent. Um, so I know if I was able to get my body physically back there, been able to swing like that, I can I can do it again. Why not? I mean, that's only that's only since. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I played with Patrick a ton. Patrick's a friend of mine. It's not like I said that because I don't like Patrick. No, you know, exactly. I, Patrick, Patrick is a friend of mine. And I'm sure he's heard people bring that up, and he's like, oh, that's just JP being JP. But obviously, <laughs> no, one, no one's going to care to ask him that because they know that's what he's going to say. They, they want people to think, oh, my God, JP and Patrick don't like each other, which is total chicken shit. Yeah, it's so, sort of a narrative, isn't it? If it makes you look like the bad guy. Yeah, right. No, but I, I, lo- I love Patrick, or Patrick Cantlay. Um, so, yeah, no, and I do. I, I, when I'm healthy and... and uh, I know I can beat him. I know I can beat any of those guys if I'm healthy. I've done it before. So, yeah, people think that that's, that's being arrogance. But, man, to be good at an individual game, you have to be a little bit arrogant. I'm sorry. Like, I can't sit over here and tell you, oh, yeah, those guys are way better than me. I'm never going to beat them. Come on. You know, it makes no sense. <laughs> exactly. That, and, that's the, and, that, and that's where it really does, you know, with, with media the way it is, is if – if Tiger comes out and says I'm better than everybody and and I'm going to win this week, they love it. They 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 lap it up and this is Tiger being Tiger. He's dominant and you know a different world completely and and obviously. But he's allowed to be arrogant. But anyone that's kind of not won yet or you know is a little bit down the way in in the world rankings, suddenly an arrogance is is seems as if it's uh, the wrong thing to say. But like you say, to be good and be elite at a sport which you have to be to be on the PGA Tour. You have to have at least a, a self-belief, even if it's not arrogance. Right. Yeah. No, it's it's almost as if 
so when you're ranked a hundredth in the world and you haven't won, um, and you're teeing it up against a Rory McIlroy, you know, in the back of your mind, you're like, man, I'm going to beat this guy. Like, it doesn't matter who he is. You take the media out of it. You take all of the media out of it and the world rankings and all this crap that people get so engulfed in. And it's two guys. That's it. It's just two guys that are going to play golf and see who wins. And those two guys equally think that they're going to beat each other, right? So it doesn't matter what anyone else says. I've never... I've never cared. Like nobody that's the best in the world cares. I guarantee you Rory McIlroy does not care what all the sheep on Twitter are saying about (laughs) not give a shit. Um, It's just the, the, I get media has to do that to stir the pot and to get likes and to get people to comment on all their stuff. But I get it. I mean, they need the clickbait, right? So that's why they do it. And, uh, but as the from the player's perspective, it's just a crock of shit, to be completely. <laughs> and so, you know, you, we spoke earlier that you, you have got some starts, you know, when you do get back to being healthy, and hopefully that's, you know, soon. You, you know you've got sort of four or five starts on the conference. Do you know what you need to do in order to get your card on those starts? Yeah, i got a lot. i got a lot to do. Um, I need to make – well, I don't, they switched to a point system um, from last year. So, but last year – I need to make 70 grand in five starts, which I don't know. I don't know how they do the points on the tour. It might be dollar for dollar. I, I really haven't looked into it, but it's. I need to make 70,000 in five starts, so I'm guessing that's 70,000 points as well. Yeah. Um, but that's you know, if you go back to it, yeah, everybody's like, oh, that's just one week. Realistically, you know, that's a that's a pretty tough ask on on that tour. Uh, to do that in five starts it's not obviously it's not impossible i mean if top five did out there five in a row one time yeah exactly i can do it it's just a really tough ask with an old ass body and a you know a, <laughs> a, a dad bod and you know it's just it's a lot but do i think i can absolutely and i'm gonna plan like i like i'm gonna do it like i did at greenbrier when i you know missed by half a point but um hopefully the the cards fall on my side this time yeah, do you think that you are a guy that, that plays better under those pressure? I mean, like you spoke there at the Greenbrier, you had a, a goal and, you know, you played your ass off that whole week to reach that. And, and realistically, you probably should have won. You should have got that card there. And, and uh, all things considered, it didn't happen. But do you think now that the five starts that you got, do you think that's a great situation for you to be in that you have to, obviously it's difficult, but you have to play well and there's no sort of being content on the course? Um. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, I think I do play better when I when I have to, you know, have to achieve something like that. My dad, you know, always said when we were kids and growing up, and he was he's a pretty pretty strong disciplinarian and you know ran a pretty strict household. But he would always tell us necessity is the breeder of invention. And dude, I've heard that quote thousands of times from him <laughs> and when i was you know back on my career when i was dead broke with 1200 bucks my rent was due in a week you know the work paid off and we played good at the u.s open covered the rent bought the house you know three years down the road if you you know as I, I i missed people don't know this but i missed my pga tour card in the regular web.com tour season in 13 
by one shot. Oh yeah. <laughs> I finished, I finished third at Omaha and Bronson LaCassie, who I was playing with made about a 10 footer on the last hole to, to move to first, move the points, push me out of the top 25. So I all of a sudden finished 30th on the money list, the regular season and needed to play well in the finals. And so that's what I did. I needed to play well. And so I did play well. And then fast forward another three years, you know, or that got out in five years to the Greenbrier and having to play well, last start, had to clutch up at the end, did it. It didn't, it just didn't go my way. You know, I, I, I didn't quite play good enough to, to be honest with you. I mean, I should have finished one or two better. I thought I did enough, but, uh, Turns out I didn't. So, yeah, no, I think I played better with with a uh, little bit of a little bit of um, a red ass. You know, I, I feel like uh, if if you if you've got some pressure on me or tell me I need to do something, um, it's going to motivate me a little more than uh, just playing in my 14th event. You know, I just finished 30th last week. Let's just lollygag through this one. You know, I mean, that's that's kind of. Uh, not that's not the environment for me to play right in. So yeah, I, I do agree with you. I think that when I come back, that I've I've done this three or four times now. Yeah, I've failed once and, and succeeded the other times. I think it's going to be easier for me to uh, to do it easier than than most guys that would would have to overcome that kind of a hurdle. Yeah, and I think just just before I let you go, the last sort of uh, question I wanted to ask is. Is it a, a last chance saloon again? Is it if you don't make it for these five starts, you you're hanging it out for good and <laughs> and, and, and that's it, or or is it you know the, this you're back into pro golf and what you need to do is what you need to do. I suppose a lot of it is dictated with by the, the wrist issue and things like that. But is is the mindset now you're, you're a pro golfer again, and if you don't make those five starts, then you know you you go on and and you fight for your card in other avenues. So I, I'm a pro golfer, Tom. I'm a professional golfer. I tried to convince myself two years ago that I hated it, that I wanted to be home. All these guys suck because they're out here, you know, <laughs> taking time away from their families. What a bunch of lunatics. And I just said all that. And I, what I was trying to do was convince myself that I wanted to quit. Yeah. And deep down, everybody on that PGA Tour even the corn fairy tour, those guys have put so much time, sweat, blood, tears into all of this as a career that there's, there's no other Avenue for them. I, I had a real job for three months. I was, a, it was a, it was a, in the oil and gas industry. And those guys were great to offer me that position, but I hated it. I hated <laughs> it. So what I realized was I was trying to convince myself that I wanted to be at home and work a real job. And when in reality, I'm a golfer, I'm a yeah. great golfer. That's, that's what I do. If I put everything that I'm capable of into being a great golfer, I am a great golfer. So even if I don't make the money that I need or the points that I need to get my card on the corn Ferry tour, I'm a golfer and I'm going to keep playing golf. That's, that's it. I mean, I, I'm not going to do anything other than, than this for the for the rest of my career so uh that's why I, i'm i'm long i'm long term on this uh i know my hands will feel better i know my golf game will return i just hope it returns sooner than later but yeah no, no I'm, I'm a golfer and uh 
my mindset now is 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 better than it's ever been and and uh i'm just i just want to play golf i i haven't been able to in a year i've played 18 holes since august wow so i i want to play golf and uh i can't wait for the day that i can play without pain that's a great thing to hear i mean obviously as a as a fan of the tour and and seeing you come out and and the way you play we obviously want you to get back on the course and we obviously wish you all the very best with it um get those hands healed up the wrist and uh look after the family during this tough time and and hopefully when the, those starts come up you you make the points and the money you need and uh we're having a different conversation in a year's time maybe oh man that'd be great yeah i appreciate it tom thanks for having me on and thanks for caring caring about a old hurt you know <laughs> has been pro that's coming back right <laughs> sounds good to me <laughs> all right tom see you, you take care john thank you